Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. So I just want to welcome, this is um, Benita Hinton, and she is a digital fashion designer. She's a leather worker, a bag maker, embroiderer, sewist. I, I, I think that you do more things than you do not do. So <laughs> this is a woman who does it all. And you just had a pretty great time at Fashion Week this year. And so I was hoping to talk about that as well. So can we just get started talking about a bit about your sewing background and how you got started? Absolutely. Um, I actually have been sewing since I was about five or six years old. Um, my mom always loved to sew. Uh, she just did it, you know, for fun. And she bought me my first sewing machine. It was not a child sewing machine. It was a real sewing machine that she put right next to her machine. And that's pretty much how I learned. If it wasn't right, she would make me rip my stitches out, start again. So that was a really good way to learn how to do it. Um, and you said you learn on an adult machine. That's also very impressive. Instead of like having it be like a child machine or a toy, um, it was actually, she trusted you to have adult tools, which helped you to develop. Do you think that helped you to develop your skills in a way that perhaps a children's machine or a toy might not have? Oh, absolutely. And also my aunt, which was my mom's sister, uh, she worked in the leather factory. So she made leather coats and handbags. I think that is where my love for leather and other medias came from. So that's what I've been sewing with pretty much all my life. That's fantastic. It's this really that often I hear sewists say things like, I'm afraid of the serger. I'm afraid of an overlock or I'm afraid of a blind hem or I'm afraid of a. And I was like, you know, you drive a car, which is right. like one of the most dangerous things on earth. And you're not afraid of that. Why are you afraid of a machine that's just sitting on your table? That's but true. one of the things that one of the things that your story seems to suggest is that you were able to sew these materials that many people find difficult, like sewing with leather is something mm -hmm. that some people will spend their whole careers trying to avoid. But mm -hmm. you almost like it's all, it sounds as if you developed an early facility with that medium. Tell us a bit about that. Like, how did you overcome your fear of, or maybe you never had it to begin with, sewing with leather? Because leather is so unforgiving. So I can admit that I have a slight bit of leather fear because it's so unforgiving. You know, once you sew holes in it, there's no, I, there's no pressing it and making the holes go away and starting over. So that that's so what true. I don't love. Yes. That so is tell so me true. how you were able to conquer that and just say, hey, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Well, <clears throat> I used to get a, a scrap bin. It was what my aunt called it at the end of the week when she would finish with all her leather projects. She would just throw her scraps into this bin. And that was to me like my pot of luck. So I actually, the, the, my scraps were her small pieces. And I used to make doll clothes from them. And, you know, they'd have leather sleeves and, you know, different things like that. So 
Um, I don't really know that I had a fear for it in that regard until I started my own business and I was making leather handbags for others. And like you said, leather is absolutely not forgiving. Once you puncture it, it's pretty much a a wrap. Um, so, you know, that at times can be a challenge because hides are so expensive, but, um, you know, I just, I love it. It's my passion and I, I allow for, um, a certain amount of, uh, space in the event that I need to make some changes in my scenes and all. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much what I started on Uh, that. I I work also with uh, vegan leather upholstery fabrics. I like to mix the textiles up to keep them very interesting. That sounds amazing. And I just want to give a shout out to the best dressed dolls in wherever your childhood (laughs) home was, because if you were making doll clothes from the leather works scrap bin (laughs) and giving your dolls leather skirts and leather sleeves, they were probably like the envy of the Barbie dream house. I mean, I was making doll clothes too, but my doll clothes were, they looked like they had been made by an actual child um, (laughs) who wasn't allowed to use a sewing machine. So they were not at all. They looked like, you know, those costumes from the walking dead, you know, how the things are like, you know, they're kind of hanging off. That's what my dolls were wearing, you know? And then I would just say, I'd save my money and buy some Barbie clothes because I could not sew it and have them not look like they were extras in a zombie film, but yours sound pretty impressive with leather sleeves and a pair and, and parts. That's amazing. So when I wanted to talk also about the name baby cakes, bags and rags, I love this name. And I believe you said that it's, this name has a family history. So would you mind sharing um, info about that with us? Not at all. I'd be happy to. Um, I, my actual profession before I started my own business, I was a healthcare administrator and um, my parents owned the family business. So, you know, we were doing different things and my mom and I, my mom loved fashion and she, had she was a, a, a fashion force. I mean, she loved handbags and anything to do with fabric and creating. I think I got the bug a little bit worse than she did in terms of the handbag. Um, and we always had this dream while we were sitting. Our, my family business was a 24-hour business. So I'd be there working with her after school in the middle of the night. And we would just talk, you know, about any and everything. And I always called my mom baby cakes. And we always dreamed of having our own boutique or store one day, a manufacturing company, lots of ideas. And she was my best friend. My mom passed away when I decided to, to open this business and start, you know, to go after my passion. I wanted to keep her along with it. So I named, that's where the name Baby Cakes comes from. The bags are the handbags that I make and the rags are the clothing and other apparel. That's really beautiful. And every time I see the name or, or that, or that you say it, I can, I can definitely feel the love and the family legacy in that. And I think that's a beautiful part that you are, that she's watching perhaps from the other side as you, cause Thank she believed you. that you could do this. She probably believed that you could do this before you were ready to believe that you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I find so powerful about your story, like going from, um, a healthcare professional to doing this independent, free-spirited, amazing designer work. And your work is so impeccable. And you work with so many different mediums. 
you have absolutely no fear. Um, and that's something that I just think is so admirable. Like what kind of advice would you have for someone who was in your position? Someone who is working at a job that they like, but maybe they don't love. Um, how do you, how did you make that leap from your, um, to make, have this be, to basically pursue your passion full time? How does, how does one make that kind of change? Well, um, it's a, it's a chance. It's a scary chance. Um, I, I had no plans of doing it. I didn't have a business plan and, you know, a time frame and have everything mapped out. Um, I, I was ended up being my parents' caregiver and they passed away and I ended up having to leave my job because I worked about 12 hours a day and it was just too much, you know, to, to juggle after a while. And when I ended up, you know, getting ready to go back to work, um, my husband said, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. I was definitely burnt out. He said, why don't, you know, he loved what he does. He's, he's a school psychologist and, and I'm very blessed that he is uh, my strength and support and says, you know, give it a shot. So, you know, it's a scary leap. I don't shop and do different things and, you know, vacation the way you used to because there is a building time when you start your own business. But there's nothing like the passion of knowing when you wake up in the morning that you have the, the, the freedom to create and, and market and network and do everything that you want to do to represent your business. So my advice would be to stand strong, to have to have a good plan. Um, I did have a business background, so that definitely helped. And really not to be afraid to put yourself out there. Not to be afraid to step out of the box and create something that people are not going to see in the stores or, you know, just online. It's going to be very specific to things that that we all recognize and relate to. Um, I was not always an embroiderer. I did make things. But um, when I started this, I kind of had still the love for embroidery from, I'm going to say way back in the day now, it's kind of sounding a little old, but to know where where it is now with the design. And when I started doing it, I saw that we were not really represented. African-American women, beautiful, melanated women, we were not represented in all of our beauty. So that was what inspired me to start in this direction. That is such a good point. And I wanted to just say one follow-up to your story. I've I've heard this said many times and some people think that it's cliche, but I think partly partly it is true that when you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, and I'm not saying that what you're doing isn't work. I know you put in a lot of work, but you're willing to do it because you love it. You know, so you're yeah. willing to put in the late hours. You're willing to, you know, miss the meals and miss the vacations and sacrifice because you believe in what you're doing. And your passion animates you. So instead of having sewing be like a side hustle, instead of having the designing be something you can do, you know, after you've squeezed out, you know, a 45 hour work week, mm -hmm. this is your 45 hour work week. Right. And sometimes it's your 50 and 60 hour work week and you're okay with that. Yes, I, yeah. Absolutely. I <laughs> you there sound like you'd be, you'd be really glad for a 40 hour work oh. week if you could get it. <laughs> Yes, I just took two large um, bulk orders, both at the same time, same due date. So I'm a little nervous about that because I am pretty much a one woman 
show, so to speak. Um, I do do everything from the beginning to the end. And I mean, it is a little scary when you first start your business and maybe even a year or so, depending on how hard you market, people really look to you as being a crafter. And there's nothing wrong with being a crafter, you know, do it yourself now. I mean, everybody is doing it. But when you're trying to do it to pay bills and to, you know, get recognition and start a brand, that's a little bit more difficult to actually sell it because, you know, we naturally go out to people that we know, family, friends, people in the community, and they love your work, but they want you to give it to them. They think, oh, that's a nice, you know, love gift. And with the prices of the machines and, and you know, materials nowadays, we just can't do that anymore. I think you're absolutely right that there was a time and that time I believe has long passed when people could sew to save money that you can sew something and it's much cheaper than buying it in a store. But now things in stores are so inexpensive thanks to the ethical crisis that is fast fashion um, that, that you could buy a t-shirt at target for $7 or less. And, you know, there's no way I can compete with that. And I don't want to, I am not trying to sew things for people to be an alternative to Walmart or target or another fast retailer. Um, and I think that this is why it's so important for people to, um, and why I'm trying to practice the philosophy of hashtag pay black women that, you know, trying to recognize and honor the work that people have done. I'm happy to be joined today by Benita Hinton of Baby Cakes, Bags and Rags. She is a fashion designer, a bag maker, and all-around amazing artist. After the break, we will talk more about Black-centered machine embroidery, as well as her conversation with Dapper Dan, so we can hear that great story after the break. Stay tuned. Stitch Please, the Black Women's Stitch podcast, talks a lot about sewing. But if you'd like to see some of what we're discussing, we invite you to follow us on the socials. On Facebook, you can find us at Stitch Please. And on Instagram, you can find us at Black Women's Stitch. On Instagram, you'll find a lot of great pictures and compelling social commentary. In addition, you can participate in a weekly live Instagram chat at 3 p.m., on Thursdays at Eastern Standard Time. So follow us on the socials, Facebook at Stitch Please and Instagram at Black Women's Stitch and get your stitch together. I'm delighted to be joined by our guest, Benita Hinton of Baby Cakes, Bags and Rags. She's going to talk to us now about her first time at Fashion Week this year, as well as Black-centered machine embroidery and meeting Dapper Dan. Thank you for tuning in for our celebration of Blacktober, where we center and elevate Black women, femmes, and girls always, and in particular this month, concentrating on Black women in custom fabric making, in fashion, and in cosplay. Stay tuned. Let's transition to, I want to talk about two more things. I want to talk about your embroidery, and then I want to talk about Fashion Week. Um, I can't tell which of these things excites me more. Um, both of them are, of course, incredibly exciting, but let's talk about the embroidery because that's a, that's a chance to highlight your work. And then we could talk about the fashion week work 
um, after that. So tell me a bit about your approach to embroidery. You were saying earlier that when you first started back in the day that um, there were not a lot of designs that were digitized for black folks. And one of the appeals that I liked about embroidery was that I could make anybody black that I wanted to. I could buy a Snow White and make her black. I could buy a Precious Moments and make her black. But you're saying that we deserve more and we deserve better than just to put brown thread in white characters. So tell us more about that. Well, that, that did not do it for me. We are such a beautiful array of just gorgeousness. We have so many different hairstyles, so many different skin tones, so many different body shapes. And, you know, we don't have just a wig stuck on our head. That's how I feel like, I, you know, you go to a store and you see a doll and it looks like there was a wig, wig stuck on their head. Hmm. I wanted to actually see the hair growing out of the scalp. You know, as I wanted to show our beauty in all of, is in a, as realistic a way as possible. So um, I took some classes in digitizing that were not successful because I guess we didn't connect. They weren't able to teach me what I needed to know the way I wanted to learn it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was frustrated with, you know, I didn't want to make doilies and potholders. So I pretty much sat down. I did take some um, graphic design classes, just a few, and I pretty much winged it. And I, and I spent, you know, many a days and nights and made many a goof ups until I, you know, I feel like I pretty much got it right or close to it. And now I, I, I love it. I love to, I feel like every time I stitch an item, it could be the same design that I've stitched, you know, a dozen times. No two pieces ever really look alike. And that's what I love about embroidery. You know, you can make it to a specific flesh tone or, you know, you saw the bag that I made. You you can actually create a design, you know, from a, a photo. And I think that's pretty cool. You're not going to ever see that in any store that you go to. Why should we wear, you know, somebody else's name or somebody else, you know, Louis Vuitton and all that's wonderful. And I'm, you know, guilty. I've bought many, but there's nothing like wearing something that really tells who you are. And what I like about what you're saying is that you are putting a new spin on something that the maker community and some advocates for making have been talking about, which is basically locally sourced goods, shop local, shop small. Um, The person who is making your bag is someone that you know. Um, The picture on the bag is not a generic person, but it's you on the bag. It's not, you know, the initials from a French designer from all those many years ago. It's you. And that's something that I think is incredibly remarkable about the detail you're able to get. Now, for those folks who don't know, embroidery is like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. Um, can you tell us, tell us a bit about your machine? I, I was amazed that you're working on a single needle machine. I thought for sure you would have like one of those gigantic machines that you could also drive. <laughs> it's like one of those embroidery machines. That's also a golf cart. <laughs> well, my single needle actually is pretty large of uh, my, one of them. I have three different machines that I use, all of which though are s- still single needle. Um, and that right now is kind of when my husband's trying to 
talked me into investing into, you know, a 10 needle machine. We've looked at them and, you know, and all, and made the space. And, and I appreciate that because he believes in me, but they're very, very expensive. And, you know, upwards to the one that I would really need that would service me the best would be about $25,000. I don't know if I'm ready right. to do that again yet. I do have yeah. three others, but you know, I kind of have to weigh it because every time you change the thread, that takes time. I just received an order today for a hundred hats and 40 skirts. So oh I, I'm hoping God. I haven't bitten off more than I, than I can chew, but I'm, I'm just going to hats. Yes. Yes. Um, so all three machines will be running. I only have one machine that will hold a hat hoop, but it will be jumping. And, and that's when those sacrifices come in when you're having your own business. Like this past weekend was a beautiful weekend in New York, you know, in, in my area. And we usually love to go into the city and everything, but I had to open my blinds and, you know, work it out. I just had, I had jobs. So those are the sacrifices and I love it. That's incredible. And and I think for I think it might be nice for you just to explain a little bit about thread and thread changes. Typically a design, and I'm just going to be spitballing here, a typical yeah. design that I might download from an embroidery site or that I might purchase on a disc maybe has 20 color changes. Maybe mm -hmm. 20 would be a lot for me. I really don't have patience for 20 different colors in the design. I just mm -hmm. kind of want to embroider my name on it and I'm fine to do it in one color. That's good enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But your designs do not have <laughs> one color chain or 20 color changes. Like you showed an image of um, the, the image that you had designed of your bag. It was your face embroidered. Can you tell us how many color changes you went through for that design? That was about 38 color changes. And um, it took a long time. When I do my designs, I like to make them a dimensional. I think that if we look at our face, you don't actually see just one flesh tone. It's like when you go to, to, to purchase a makeup foundation and they match your skin tone. They can't just put it on your hand because it's different from your face. So I like to use that in my shading when I'm making face tones. So that when you, you're looking at the bag from one direction, you almost see, sometimes you get like a little shine on your forehead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those yes. types of things. I like to keep that natural. So I take yeah, I've that heard into this, consideration. I've heard that some people get shiny foreheads. I've heard about such things. I mean, I wouldn't know for sure with my experience and my perfectly flawless skin at all times. But <laughs> I read about it on the internet that some people look shiny at certain points a day, you know, in their T zone or whatevs, but not me. Yeah. But yes, okay. the rest of those people. I'm one of those yeah. people. Yes. I'm yeah. One of those I think my people. sisters are like that too. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw shade on my sisters as well. Um yeah, they certainly get that way. Not me though. Not me. For those of us but that continue, are not lucky continue. enough to have perfect to have perfect yeah, skin. Perfect skin represent, at all times. Right. Yeah, perfect skin. That's why, I, that's why I only use one color for mine, Benita. That's why I only use one color. If I ever want to embroider my face, I would use no, one color. No brown mm -hmm. and um it'll be the brown i happen to have closer at hand and um it would probably be one inch big and um that'd be enough and it would be a circle with two eyes as dots that would be my face <laughs> like it would not be what you have done which is beautiful 
and okay. um, it, and I love the way that it, the, it does reflect and reflect refract the light. It really is, and this I, the way that you kind of compared it to makeup foundation really rings true because the the tonality of your work, the way that you pay such careful attention to our skins, it really does show uh, a love and an intimacy and such artistry. And I think that's something to continue to celebrate. I appreciate that. You know, I think maybe to a fault, and I think that's why I'm having such a hard time and I've had to reach out to someone to help me with my website. When I take custom orders from people, I don't just take it from a website. I actually give them my number to call me and I, I like to hear their voice. I like them to tell me a little bit about something in the lifestyle. What are your lipstick tones? What, you know, and so I want them to feel like they're wearing something that is really special, you know, and so that I take a lot of pride in. There's nothing wrong with downloaded designs. I use them all the time. I use them and, I, you know, I'm able to edit them. I don't always like them, you know, the way that they are. Um, but when I'm making something custom like that, I just think, you know, it's a life piece. You can hand it down, hopefully, to someone else around Absolutely. the holidays. I do. Yeah, I do. You know, pillows. And um, I just want to add, if I may, that, I, you know, I've been even people will look on my website. I get messages from Instagram and they'll say, you know, what is it with you? You only do, you know, don't you do anybody that's not African-American? And I don't really give that too much thought. I mean, you know, because I I feel like we have gone into stores many, many years and have not been represented. So when I stitch, that is my priority. I really don't. I mean, I would certainly stitch anyone, but that's where I get my passion and my joy, you know, really showing all of our beauty. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I believe it is totally on point. And it's funny you say this because in our conversation last week, uh, with Clonora Irvin, who is doing custom fabric design, she too got some complaints like, why do you only have black children on your fabric? And mm -hmm. I, and it, it's just like, are you kidding me? It's, mm -hmm. This is just, this is one of those consequences of living in a white supremacist society where yeah. white folks are used to seeing themselves at the center. They're used to being at the center of everything. And as I mentioned to Clonora, I was like, there is a saying that says when you are used to privilege, equity seems like injustice. Absolutely. You know, that this idea that um, you having your beautiful embroidery designs and having them made dedicated to the intricacies of black beauty, not just putting in one brown thread and calling it a day, but focusing on the textures of hair and wanting to see the hair growing out of the scalp and, you know, stitching little baby hairs on the side. I mean, like you do all of the things that look like us and for folks to be white folks to be resentful of that or to feel excluded yeah. shows that they haven't given one thought to how these mainstream and independent embroidery companies operate. And yeah. I can tell you, and I don't even need to, I'm sure, but I have certainly been in conflicts with some small embroidery companies because of just straight up racist embroideries that I have found on mm -hmm. these sites. 
I mean, like a little person waving a Confederate flag. And don't yeah. get me started on all the mammy dolls that these people oh, yeah. want to embroider. And I'm like, wait, you've got a lot of damn nerve, you know, first of all, first to put this embroidering. Up- that's I'm sorry to cut you off. When I first started no, embroidering, no, that was what I saw. And I was like, oh, no, this is not going to work. And it was fueling me. So I know exactly what you mean. You know, it, it didn't represent us at all. Right. Right. It was basically a racist representation. It got so bad. And this is something I do all the time and need to stop. I have since stopped. This was about 15 years ago. But I got into an argument with this woman who owned this embroidery company about how her rate, her mammy dolls were racist. That all the, you know, that she didn't have any black people on her site except mammies. And I said, this is racist. And my, I'm a professor and my specialty is African-American literature and culture. And I am telling you, this is racist. Well, I don't think that's true at all. And I have a black friend and she likes it and she doesn't think it's racist. Maybe you should educate yourself. And I was like, bitch, I got a PhD. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I mean, oh my gosh, it was so, it was so bad. And that's what I had to just step away and yes. I just started, you know, stitching other things. But this mm-hmm. notion that it's just so prevalent, um, surprisingly yeah. prevalent in the sewing and embroidery communities. And this is what Black Women's Stitch is all about. It's all about elevating and lifting up Black women, girls and femmes. It's about not just exposing, you know, these inequities. You know, it's really more about loving ourselves loving each other and lifting up the work that we have been doing um, regardless of the hostile climates in which we find ourselves. And these, these sewing and embroidery places are surprisingly hostile. Yes. I, I 100% agree. That has been my only experience with them. That it That is exactly how I've felt. Yeah. Amazing. And it's, let's talk I mean, it's just, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say it's just sad because we have so many, as I said, you know, just so many beautiful features to celebrate. Yes. You know, so it's just, like I said, I just get, sometimes I, I find that I have to really look in mind and be mindful of my time because I, you know, as I'm sewing, I can go on to another machine and do something else, but I just love to see the people come alive. So, yes. You know what I mean? That, I love it. You put in- those on your live sometimes. You'll put them on your live videos or you'll show videos of you stitching. And I'm like, you're not even done yet. And I like it just like it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to do that so people understand the process. Because yes. just to step back for a minute, like you said about people that will say, oh, you know, I can just go to the store and buy a t-shirt for $10 or $15. When I'm doing, you know, my vending events, my showcases, when people come up to my table, with that type of thinking or, you know, verbal, then I know that that is not a person that's going to be a customer of mine no, because they don't no. understand what no. all is in it. Yeah. And not everybody, right. you, and you know, and you don't want everybody's money. There right. are, that's you know, and that is, and that is okay. And that does not mean that, that does not mean that you need to somehow lower your prices or your expectations. There are people out there who value what you what you bring, you just have to find them. Um, and, and I think that there's folks out there who are happy to get to sell 10, to make $10 by selling 10 things for $1. 
And I have never been like that. I do not want to, I, I would, I do not want to sell 10 things for $1. I rather sell one thing for 10. I do not have time yeah. for, right. I am not trying to compete with the doggone Dollar Tree. And there's too many people Definitely. who are, they just give away their gifts. Um, yeah. Let's talk about it, your it showcase. Let's, yeah. Yeah. It, it is, is definitely hard. It, it is hard because, you know, and I've taken some classes in it, but you really need to learn. People say, well, how do you put a price on embroidery? Is it X amount of money per stitches? And, but it's not really that at all. If you really look at the, at the, um, the math and the time, because stabilizers cost so much and the machine costs so much and, you know, the thread costs so much. You, when, to me, when I skimp and I use cheaper thread, which I never do I, as because I've learned, your design doesn't look good. And I have right. customers that I'm so proud to say, you know, that they've come certain shows I do on an annual basis and they'll bring someone else and wear my item from three or four, maybe five years ago. And it'll look and it just looks as great. vibrant. Yes. And, and that really makes me feel good and I think speaks to quality. So, you know, for me, that is like, just the best, you know, I, 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 that's, that's why I do what I do. I think that's amazing. And you know, what's funny. And I think that this, I'm not sure this is something that just women have to deal with, but it seems like nobody is pricing, um, designers like Gucci or Louis Vuitton or whatever, based on materials. No one is pricing how much a painting should cost based on how much the artist paid for brushes, paint, canvas, their art education, um, how much their hourly rate is. And I think that this is one of the differences in terms of class, social class, and the differences between art and craft, right? If it's craft, somehow it's meant to be like less than, and this is, this is why I get so irritated by folks that I see who sell their things on garage sale sites on Facebook, these things that they Mm -hmm. have made themselves they sell them in the same venue as someone who's trying to get rid of old furniture and not like good quality antiques, but just that old ratty baby chair that they don't need anymore. And Mm -hmm. like, it really is, I think that we really need to be taught or to believe in ourselves in the value of our work, um, regardless of whatever a market would put on it. You know, it has to be worth that comes from within. And I think that that's something you've realized. Um, And it's a great model and example for all of us. Let's talk I had about the, the, fashion uh, the honor of, I, Yes, tell me, I tell just, me. I just want to tell you really quick. I had the honor recently of meeting up with Dapper Dan. Yes, um, who, I saw that. That's yeah. amazing. Tell us, tell us. He he such a humble man, but he was amazing. And I spent about 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes with him. We just happened to run into each other in the garment district. It was not, you know, set up or anything. And he was just an amazing man. He looked at my items that I had made and he gave me a couple of, you know, he said, this is great. And, you know, different things. Talked to me about my business plan. He asked me how much my, you know, I'm charging for that item. And he said, well, the first thing you're doing is you're selling yourself short. And I had told him about a particular Gucci bag that I've had my eye on, but I refused to buy it. I'm going to make it myself. And he said, absolutely do not buy it. He said, because you can make a better quality bag yourself. And their bags are usually not even a good quality leather. So it's all about really, like you said, using your resources. I go to to local tanneries where I know that I'm going to get, actually the one that I use, they uh, sell me the same leather that Louis Vuitton purchases to make their leather bags. 
Wow. So, you know, it's all about just, yeah, it's all about quality, believing in yourself. And like he said, you know, don't sell yourself short and just keep practicing, practicing your, your craft. And, you know, no one will be able to hold a candle to it. So he was, it was an amazing um, opportunity. What a great boost. Oh my gosh. That is so nice. Well, that's a good segue into talking about your time at Fashion Week this year and the pre-shows that you did. Tell us a bit about those and how those went. Yeah, it was, you know, I've been sewing for, like I said, a long time. And I, I love just New York is a wonderful place for fashion any day of the week. But New York Fashion Week, just being in that environment, I, to me, I say it's something in the air. You can smell it. It just gives me energy, maybe because I love fashion. I don't know. But Fashion Week is amazing. And I've gone to different shows at Fashion Week, but being on the other side of it and actually being able to show some of my own work um, was really pretty amazing. It was pretty cool. Um, and it was nice. It was interesting. Bloggers come out. Um, people that own stores come out and they look at your things and they, you know, interview you. So it's pretty interesting. Um, it, it was something very, very, it was a lot of work, um, not all glitz and, and glamour for sure. And my first time in, I'm hoping next year to be bigger and better. But it was very, very exciting to actually see your work come from an idea to an actual fashion show. Do you have a memory of any particular conversation or sighting or discussion point? Um, that you remember from the experience? Um, you know, something did occur that was pretty cool. Um, there were all types of different people there, Wendy Williams, different people in and out, not so friendly, some friendly. And I happened to be coming out of a show and I saw a, a um, stylist that I follow and he follows me back on Instagram. Um, his name is Derek Warburton. I mean, he's not anybody that most people would probably recognize. But I just like his sense of style. And when I did the TV interview on Channel 5, one of my designs that I showed was his face because he's got a beautiful head of blonde hair, and I just love his style. And walking out of the show, he was walking right past me. And so I turned to him, and, you know, we started talking. And I thought that was pretty cool, you know, to actually see somebody that has the same um, interest and sense of style to be down to earth. And we're all at the end of the day, just the same, trying to make it, you know, but he appreciated the fact that I did something um, that represented him. And I appreciated the fact that he, you know, he saw the vision in my work. I hope we I hope you all enjoyed the conversation with Benita Hinton as much as I did. You can find out more about her work and see the beautiful images on Instagram at Baby Cakes Bags and Rags. And you could also check out her Facebook group, also called Baby Cakes Bags and Rags. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Stitch Please, the Black Women's Stitch podcast. Let's continue the conversation. Come find us on the socials. We're at Black Women's Stitch on Instagram, where we have a very active page. And you can also find us on Stitch Please on Facebook. We also would love to hear from you. So feel free to email us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. 
There are three big ways you can support this project, and one of them you're doing already. By listening to the podcast, you're really helping us, so thank you for doing that. In addition, if you rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast with other folks, that helps the podcast to grow, and it also gives the algorithm that manage podcasts information that will also help our podcast thrive. The third way to help the podcast is for those of you all who happen to have a little extra change burning a hole in your pocket. And if you don't have any plans to use it to buy your 20th or in my case, 378th big four pattern, that's how many I have in my top pattern drawer, about 378 patterns. You could take that money that you would spend at the pattern sale and give it to us. We are accepting donations at our Patreon site where you can donate as little as $2 a month, or you could buy us a coffee at ko.fi and small donations are greatly accepted and appreciated. So thank you for considering that. If you would like a transcript of this episode, you can find that at our website at stitchpleasepodcast.com. And we also ask that you check the show notes where we have lots of additional information and supplemental information for what we discussed in the podcast. You can find affiliate links there for the products that we like. You can find web links to the black women that we've been talking about here on the show to elevate and center their work. And you can also find the info we mentioned about donations as well as our email link. All of that is available at stitchpleasepodcast.com. Thanks again for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Come back and we'll help you get your stitch together.